Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 99. And this one is super special for me because in this episode, we are having a conversation with my pacer from the Tahoe 200, one of my favorite humans in the whole wide world, Frank. So this episode is meant as sort of a companion episode to the Pacing 101 that I released a couple weeks ago. And so I thought it would be helpful for you guys to hear both sides of the conversation. So basically, Frank and I just sat down and talked all about the Tahoe 200 experience from start to finish. And we hit on some of the same thoughts, ideas, do's and don'ts that I covered in the previous episode. So I don't want to give any of it away. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Frank all about the Tahoe 200. We're going to talk to Frank, my pacer from Tahoe 200, and we're going to just talk about all things pacing so that if somebody asks you to pace for them, Um, Or even, you know, sort of like crew for them that you have an understanding of like how this whole thing works. So my first question for you is, (laughs) why the hell (laughs) did you agree to pace me at Tahoe in the first place? (laughs) I think that's that's a two kind of a two pronged answer to that. Uh, The first is I wanted to go to Tahoe and I thought this was a cool opportunity. Um, and I didn't realize that I'd be seeing Tahoe at night from, from the mountains, but um, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I went out early so I could scout the course and I could, so I could have my, my mini vacation. The other side of that is the reason, also the reason I volunteered was because I had every intent of running Tahoe, which at this moment I'm going to run Tahoe in 23. So in order to bypass the lottery, I had to, to volunteer and then I wanted to scout the course so I had an idea of what to expect. Well, unfortunately for you, you won't, you saw like a good portion of the course, but at night. So <laughs> I got the night lights, although we had, we did have a couple good day, daytime runs yeah. and I got some runs in during the day beforehand. So it wasn't all bad. That's true. But actually it's very pretty there at night too. So. It is very pretty. I guess we should also just recap for people the plan and this is like sort of getting ahead of ourselves, but like the plan for Frank at Tahoe from the get-go was really to pace me overnight because that was the sections. Those were the times that I was like most nervous about, you know, being out there, potentially being on my own, um, which actually ended up happening when, when Ben unfortunately had to drop out. Um, and so that was the plan from the get-go was for Frank to be with me for the overnight legs. Um, again, I'm sort of like jumping ahead, but like it actually did work out nicely that like I could pick you up and drop you off on those regulated intervals and they lined up with the overnight stuff. Yeah. I think that we were really hoping that you and Ben would stick together for the whole race. Obviously that didn't happen, but, and then I would pace the both of you at night and try to, you know, do my pacing duties for both of you. Um, that didn't work out obviously, but I think, yeah, in the end, like everything else, it always works out. So, so we, you decided we, we made this game plan. You were coming out. You did. I just have to say, I want to just get this on the record right, right at the beginning (laughs) that I, that you did an amazing job. (laughs) Okay. Like there, um, there were many times that 
uh, I may have not even said it outwardly, but I thought to myself, there is no way that I would have been able to get through this or that or whatever without you, because um, especially uh, the one the one part that comes up for me the most is that damn night leg going from going into Stephen Jones. So like whatever the one was before that, going into Stephen Jones, I was literally sleep running. All I have memories of that leg are like these sort of like glimpses of time where I woke up from my literal sleep running to see where I was. And then I just sort of like head down, zoned out. And then like, you know, like you would grab onto me or whatever, like redirect me, (laughs) I could do whatever. But like, that was one particular section where I remember being so incredibly frustrated, not with you, but just with like the length of the section, the amount of road, how tired I was, you know, I mean, we were basically within striking distance, right? We were probably like 20, 30 to 25 miles away from the finish, but like, you know, however many miles away from Stephen Jones. And I was just like, I have to hang on. I mean, there was literally no way that I would have been able to do that section by myself. So I just want to get that on the record straight out of the gate. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was, uh, now I'm getting a little ahead. That was, that was a tough spot for you. I wasn't doing that bad, but it was a tough spot for you. And that was when I had to start, no offense, stop, stop listening to you. Um, as, as we went along, you're like, I don't remember this part. And I, and that's when I started to have, started to, started to have to override you. I'm like, cause my, the back of my head's going, well, if she doesn't recognize it. Maybe we're not in the right place. I'm like, wait a minute. She hasn't slept in three days. So maybe we're just fine and she's crazy. Um, <laughs> so, and then that's, that's part of what I was responsible for was your safety and getting us through the court, you know, that that's what I I did. I got you from marker to marker. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it didn't matter how. <laughs> no, no. At certain points it did not matter how. Okay. We're definitely getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go yep. back. So, um, so day one, we do, um, we do the first basically 50 miles. Uh, ben and I do the first 50 miles together and then we end up picking you up. I'm going to forget that I should pull up the names of all the aid stations again, because I'm going to forget them all off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, you guys were coming into, um, yeah, I forgot already <laughs> into the aid station. Um, that's when you had texted ahead and I, I end up running cause I was half ready to run already. And I ran up the mile to catch you and Ben to make sure you guys got down. Okay. And I was ready to run because I didn't know if I needed to pick it up from there. And, and that that's, I mean, going back to my job, my job is to be there at any given moment and start going. And that's kind of the unpredictability of being the pacer as well. We ultimately decided that you needed to sleep, which was fine. And then I still had to be ready when you got up in case now that we knew that Ben had dropped and you were by yourself is that at that point, you know, we were rearranging race strategy and trying to figure out, do we stick to the original plan? Do we, you know, now do I pick it up from here and run you through part of the day and then through the night? Or do we just, you know, trying to be very, 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 can I get one more very in there? Very flexible (laughs) as, as the pacer. Um, Because ultimately, I mean, it's it, it's not about me, and I think we talked about that in the original podcast. That being a pacer and being a crew member, this isn't my game. This is your game, and I'm just here, you know, to get you through it. And it, it's I, I've heard it's an art form, and I think we were at an advantage because we had done ghost train together. So we spent you know 30 hours, 20 28 hours together 
at a hundred miles. So we understood the mindset of each other. And it, it, granted, that's not the best way to pace because we both hit that low on that, that night leg on ghost train. And ultimately you don't want your runner hitting a, or your pacer hitting a low at the same time your runner's hitting a low because nobody wins. We were kind of an advantage in that aspect before going into it. And we knew how each other thought. So yeah, just being ready at any given moment. And fortunately you were, you were good to go once you got some sleep and off you went during the day. Yeah. I do think that is a good point. I'm happy that you went off on that tangent because one of the things that we didn't tell people unless they sort of like knew was that, yeah, you and I spent 28 hours together running back and forth at Ghost Train. So we did really get a sense for our pacing, you know, our moods, like our turnaround times, you know, when we go to the aid stations, um, you know, all the, all the sort of stuff that just happens as the natural part of running a long distance race, that if you don't know this person ahead of time that you have as your pacer, there's going to be a learning curve. Um, and so one of the things I, I talked about in the previous episode was sort of, um, you know, getting a, your game plan together ahead of time. And that sort of includes, almost interviewing the person that's going to pace you so that you can get a sense for what they're all about. Again, especially if they're somebody that's totally new to you. Now, if there's somebody that you run with frequently and they know you, like a, like you said, you're ahead of the game because there's that it's sort of like the dating period is over. Like you're already like in the relationship with that person. Like, you know what to expect. And if you've, if you've never paced someone before, the learning curve can be pretty steep. And so that's sort of why I wanted to do the previous episode. And then this one to sort of give people an idea, like a, a behind the scenes, look at some of the stuff that might happen, um, like all the contingencies and the needs, um, like the sort of do's and don'ts, like, you know, so you can just be fully aware of what you're signing up for. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that, that's one of the reasons also during some of your training runs, we had paired up too. So we got, basically, I just wanted to refresh my memory on running with you. And that's why we did that. We had two training runs, uh, pretty long ones too. I think, no, three. We had three training runs together and they were at least 20 miles each um, during the day. So that was a little bit different, but just so I could get my own head where we were and refresh my memory because spending that amount of time with anybody can be difficult. <laughs> yeah. And I would like <laughs> and to And it just... wasn't difficult with you. I just... You were what? It wasn't difficult with you. I'm just saying it can be if, <laughs> and I think you can look at it from both the, the runner side and the pacer side is the runner has to if you're asking somebody to pace you in an, in an ultra of a significant distance, I'm talking a hundred miles, 30 mile or the the 50 mile or 50 Ks, I don't think you'll see that as much, but when you get to a hundred, especially 200 miles, I, I saw some things in you that you don't usually want people to see. And I'm not (laughs) going to get to those. We'll get to those. (laughs) But the point is as the runner doing a hundred or 200 miles, you're going to hit some points in that race that are not going to be pretty and, you know, laugh, cry, hurt, not hurt. This sucks. This doesn't suck. Oh, look at the moon. Hey, what was that? I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, All, and everything in between. Yeah. And, and as a runner, I think you need to have that, that the sort of a connect, not a connection, but a, a trust in your pacer. Yes. Um, especially over the night legs that, 
I guess what I'm ultimately be careful who you ask, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I would totally agree. I would totally agree. Like, I think it's like really important, um, uh, to, to know the person, to trust the person, to have a clear game plan, to, um, to know that that person has some experience with the sport and, or in the conditions that you're going to be in. Because again, if you just sort of throw any old person in there and sort of hand over or abdicate responsibility to this person, um, you could be setting yourself up for success, like just sort of like winging it, flying by the seat of your pants, or you, it could be a complete and utter dumpster fire because, I mean, they just don't know what they're doing. And and so you really sort of, again, have to like interview or date this person like um, in advance. It's not not necessarily something that you want to just like throw somebody into. I would also like to say, I do not recommend, and I'm, I wouldn't, and it's not because you didn't do a good job, but I just don't think that it was a necessarily good strategy for us to have you pace me for all of that, right? Like theoretically, I would recommend if you're going to do a 200 miler, don't just have one pacer. (laughs) Like we sort of, you know, this was like probably don't like a don't do what I do type of situation. (laughs) Yeah. In a a perfect world, I shouldn't have done Mm -hmm. uh, 80 miles. Yeah. 70, 80, whatever it was. I I wasn't really keeping, I I mean, I don't remember because it's not important. Um, we could do the math. We could yeah, back to the math. Whatever legs it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, you want you want a patient to be fresh. And I was still doing okay. But that mm-hmm. is not an ideal situation. No. I would also just add in there, it's not just like we plucked Frank out of nowhere. <laughs> like he had been doing lots of training. He had done a lot of races. He's planning on doing ghost train again. So like that's coming up here shortly. So yeah, like doing weeks. an 80, what? Uh, three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. So like doing 80 miles wasn't just like, oh, hey, Frank's coming in cold off the bench type of a thing. Like mm-hmm. he was definitely working his way up to this. And so it was it was a calculated move on yeah. his part and our part. So Yeah. And also in addition to that, I trained as if I was doing a hundred miler. Yep. So I, I mean and that and that's I think that's the part of the pacing side of it is you gotta be ready to do the mileage you say you're gonna do and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. because, you know, and that's sort of like going back to um, my point about having multiple pacers, like you might in your strategy for, you know, if it's for a 50 miler, you could probably just get away with one pacer. If it's a hundred miles, you might want two. If it's 200 miles, you might want to consider three or four people. If you, you know, have the resources for that, just so that you don't burn people out, but just having an understanding of, you know, what is the distance that you're specifically asking them to do? And then are they capable of a few miles more, right. In order to maybe pick up an extra leg, if somebody flakes out or if, um, if it doesn't work out that you can drop them off at the specific place that you were, you know, wanting to drop them off. I think of, um, a couple years ago, uh, ghost train where, um, Hannah, I was just trying to think of like what, what year it was, but like my friend Hannah had agreed to come and pace me for the last little bit. And she like lived in Milford. So it was very close to her and she'd been doing a lot of running. And, and so she did, she was planning on only doing 
seven miles with me, but then we hit the turnaround point and she was having so much fun that she was like, I'm going to go with you to the, the, the 90 mile turnaround and back. So like another 10 miles. And I was like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah, I'm just like totally having fun. Meanwhile, she's actually like texting. She was, I think she was supposed to do like a engagement photography shoot with her fiance and like the, and the photographer. And meanwhile, she's like texting them. She's like, I'm going to be late. Or she's like, move. I was like, are you seriously doing this right now? She's like, yeah, this is like so much fun. I was like, okay. <laughs> so long story short, just like being prepared to do maybe a little bit more so that, um, because things don't always line up perfectly with where you say you're going to pick up or drop off. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons I ended up doing a 50 K surprisingly at, at Tahoe because we couldn't drop off where we were supposed to drop off. But anyway, yeah, we'll get to that. Cause that's on the back leg. <laughs> yeah. That was on the, yeah, that was on the back leg. Um, so we ended up deciding that I was good to go during the day from Brockway all the way to Spooner, Spooner Summit. Yep. Right. So that's miles 50 uh, all the way to about 81. I, I did actually pull up the oh, okay, crew sheet because there's no way I was going to be able to remember this off the top of my head. Um, yeah, so I, from I Brockway. I was thankful for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. For that break. Because that was like almost a full 12 hours. Yeah. <clears throat> so talk to, so tell people, like, tell me what you did after you dropped me off. Cause obviously I, I went off to like run through the woods and then you went off and did some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. We didn't do much. Um, it was, it definitely wasn't anything exciting cause I can't remember. I, I mean, we went back, we got some sleep. Um, mm-hmm. we washed clothes and pretty much. Yeah. Just, I mean, just hung out and waited was the big thing and watching you mm-hmm. and, uh, on that one were we late no that was you were late but like i could have like oh that was (laughs) i could have used the yeah on the return leg we were late yeah Yeah, but on that one but i I, you could have used the break (laughs) i i used the break i used the time so like i wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal so okay so you ran with me from spooner to heavenly so miles 80 to 100 basically the turnaround point um and that leg i was was hard that was hard that was my and, least favorite one of my least favorite legs <laughs> yeah mine too and i i think and as, as i look back on that for some reason i don't remember if we had this conversation if adam and i had this conversation but you're, you had said your knee was bothering you and that raised not the red flag but that was the first thing first time that i started going okay and i asked adam you know is is she willing to pull herself if it gets too bad or is this something we're going to have to pull her for and adam said no she she's good to go and that that's when i just relied on adam but i think it was important that he and i had that conversation you know just to make sure that we were on the same page because if if you were fine then if he said you were fine then you were fine and then i was okay if he didn't say if he said no she might push it and hurt herself then in that case that's when we have to start having a discussion okay how do we do with this at what point do we make the decision and that's some of that that was some of the behind the scenes stuff there that was that was going on um yeah i mean ultimately ultimately looking out for your safety and how how conscious are you and you you are you are too so that wasn't a, a too much of a concern but it was an important conversation that the crew had um to keep mm-hmm. you safe. Yeah. And so my knee was just sort of starting to get cranky. It was just sort of, it just didn't like 
the ups and the downs. When we were on the flats, it was sort of okay, but just, you know, on that specific leg, when we were climbing up to heavenly, it was just, um, it was unrelenting and it was dark. So you, you really couldn't get a sense for how far you had to go. I kept looking at the map, the Gaia map, and it just looked like we were, you know, right around the corner. It's, it's just a little bit further. And it just, I just, I can't even stand it. Don't ever say that to me or anybody else who's ever running a long distance race. Like don't ever say it's just around the corner. It's just up ahead. Don't use the word just and distance ever. Like it's just not a good idea. As my wife likes to say, don't tell me I'm almost there unless I can pass out and fall across the finish line. Agreed, Jocelyn, 100%. I agree with you. We're already doing the mental math, like the mental gymnastics of like, how far is it, especially if it's on a pretty difficult section. So don't overcomplicate it by saying it's just so far ahead. Either give me a specific distance or don't say anything at all. <laughs> Looking good. Keep it up. Good job. Yeah. Good yep. job. Looking yep. good. Yep. So I remember like going up that section and it just being super dark and doing all those switchbacks and seeing all the headlamps and just being like, when is this going to end? And so that was when, you know, my knee on a, on a scale of one to 10, my knee at that point was probably like a six. It was just annoying enough to be like, to, to get on my radar, but it wasn't to the point where I was like, oh, this is a problem. So, and it sort of just stayed at that level the whole time, but it was something that had not happened to me at all previously in any of my training runs in any other race. Uh, actually, now that I'm saying that with the exception of my first ghost train where I DNF'd at 75 miles and that was years ago. And so, you know, I'm, um, I think this, this is part of that sort of unwritten rule about a pacer is that you're, you're sort of also responsible for keeping tabs on any of these things that is going on, are going on with your runner, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional, so that you can sort of take their temperature, um, at any given point, so to speak, so that you can help them overcome whatever obstacle it is, or, you know, move through or make decisions or, you know, just help them keep going if that's the thing that they really want to do. Yeah. And, and I think from a crew, from the crew aspect, which is just Adam, but from a crew aspect, you're only seeing your runner for five, 10, 15 minutes. Whereas I got to spend, you know, five, 10, 15 hours with you. <laughs> so if you only have 10 minutes to digest, um, whatever they're telling you, that's not enough. I don't think unless you're a runner, unless you're a runner, that's going to spew everything factually and, you know, without any embellishment or anything like that. I had the opportunity to gauge where you're at and then pass that along to Adam. And we could have discussions, you know, behind the scenes on timing. We can have how you're doing and, and that kind of stuff. Cause I had a better sense of mm -hmm. where you were at. And I tried um, pretty hard to not color it at all. I tried pretty hard to just be like, nope, these are just the facts. If you asked me how I felt, I... Don't ever ask me how I feel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, asking you how you feel is sort of a, a loaded question. I, I really tried to give just the facts um, and try to remove any of the drama from it. So even if, even if something had happened before, I, I tried to just remove the drama from it and just give an actual factual 
uh, assessment of what was going on because I knew that that was going to be the information that you needed. And it would be ineffective for me to tell you this grandiose story when that had nothing to do with the facts at hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what is wrong? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a big thing too, is just like, you know, if you're pacing somebody and you know, you can tell me how you feel about this, but I, I mean, if you're pacing somebody, part of your job is to also like cut through the noise and sort of just pull out the facts <laughs> so that, you know, you can just make a decision based on that and not like, well, I don't, you know, there's just like this, <laughs> like the drama that, that inevitably ensues when your mood goes high and low and high and low and, and all that jazz. Yes. I, I think you're right. I had a better sense of where you were at and how you're doing and you, you were able to communicate very well for the most part, except for that last leg. But again, we're getting ahead going and then going up to heavenly. I think we had, I had a learning curve um, of what it was going to take when I ran with you. So I was fighting off um, a low spot at the same time you were low spot. So I had to put that aside because how I was doing wasn't important. And at the same time, I'm going, you got to be kidding me because <laughs> this isn't fun for me, for the pacer standpoint, I had to get over that mental hump of this isn't my race. I'm giving up myself. And basically what it comes down to as a pacer, I, I'm not important. What's important is you, your race and you finishing. And to, for any of us ultra runners that are type A personalities, trying to give up things can be a struggle. I thought I was ready. And then I got into that leg and I'm like, we got some things to work out. At the same time, I'm trying to keep you going. So I kind of failed in my job in that aspect because that let you, in my, in my mind, that let you down a little bit um, trying to get up that hill. Because I was trying to get myself over a dark place, over a hump. At the same time, you're tr I'm now I got to get you over the hump as well as try to get me over the hump. And that was that was a difficult thing to do. And then having somebody tell me that, we're almost there and it's still three miles away, which was over like an hour. That first night was a learning curve, and but it was good. And and once once we got in, we still had issues um, with timing and cutoffs when we got into Heavenly. But once we got through that part, things got, it was like day and night. Things absolutely turned around once we got through that hump. Because then you took off like a bullet. Well, relatively speaking. Um, <laughs> as fast as a hundred mile like um, a bullet can go after running a hundred miles, having like a couple, like a dark couple of nights. And <laughs> yeah. And that you had gone through a lot that first hundred miles. That was, that was an emotional roller coaster that probably you should have had a pacer after Ben dropped and just somebody to keep you or to get that, that spirit turned around. Cause I think there was a little bit of a low point there. Um, and having another pacer there to take you out of there might've, made a difference. I don't know. In hindsight, it might've made a difference, but like I said, any, everything worked out. Yeah. Well, from, from that spot, from, from 50 miles, <clears throat> I was, you know, I slept for a little bit and then I don't remember how far, maybe we were like an hour and a half. I don't remember. We were two hours maybe ahead of the cutoff at that point when I left, when I left Brockway. Um, and, and I was, so I was definitely at the back of the pack of all of the runners at that point. And what I most remember about that was just not seeing anybody for long stretches, which was okay for me. 
Um, so I guess in hindsight, you know, had I had a fresh pacer who could sort of have entertained me during that section, maybe it would have made a difference for me. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that first hundred miles was definitely a, a real roller coaster for me and coming into heavenly, um, shout out to Tom Hooper who told me in advance that this was going to be a shitty section. And I just didn't really listen because <laughs> Tom had done it with Tony like during the day. And he was like, Oh, it's brutal. You know, you're going to climb in the sun. It's going to be exposed and whatever. And so when I knew that I was going to get there at night, I was like, no problem. And I discounted how much of a challenge it would just be in terms of the climb after doing a hundred ish miles and, um, at night and, and all that jazz. So I mean, really, and then my knee started acting up. I don't remember exactly when it started, but just within that first hundred miles, yeah, to your point, that was sort of an emotional roller coaster. I feel personally like I weathered it pretty well. I'm sure from your perspective, it was probably a little bit different. Um, but like, I knew that I was run, we were running short on time, no pun intended. All I wanted to do, because I do remember telling you multiple times, all I really want to do when I get to the, when I get to heavenly is like wipe down my whole body because I was just covered in dirt. I want to get in the back of the truck. I want to sleep. And then I want to shove some food in my face. And then I, and then I, I'm going to make a decision. Um, because <clears throat> I really did not know if I could turn around and go another hundred miles. And I knew that if I could just get there, if I could do those things and sort of mentally tick those boxes and be like, yep, clean, fresh clothes, fresh food, like got a little bit of sleep, um, that I could probably dig myself out of the hole. (laughs) And spoiler alert, you did. (laughs) Yeah. Going, going up that, that hill was, was a challenge for all of us. And then coming out of there now Adam and I are starting to have the conversation of cutoffs because you came out of heavenly I think with an hour hour and a half and at your current pace when you came out of there we weren't going to make it plain and simple we weren't going to make it so now Adam and I are having the discussion of you know pacing and how far how fast can you get somewhere how much can I push you at night because night legs inherently are slower and uh so, I mean, how much can I push you through the night and how far can we get? At what point do we just say, okay, we're not going to make it. And I, I think that point was, the point we weren't going to make it was when they got to the aid station and they said, you're done. So I, that would have been the cutoff. So those were some conversations that Adam and I were having that we never talked to you about saying, okay, you know, we got to get ready when they say you're done. And, you know, now we got to pick you up off the floor and, you know, deal with deal with whatever comes after that. Again, you know, going back from the pacer standpoint, it's highs and lows and you got to just main, you got to be steady the whole time. And there are things that you don't tell your runner and uh, things that you don't ask your runner. You don't ask them how they're feeling because they feel like, have you eaten? Uh, have you, how much have you had to drink? Uh, when was the last time you went to the bathroom? I mean, as, as personal as those questions are, they're relevant. And you want to make sure your runner's hydrated. You want to make sure they're fueled and you want to make sure they're okay. And I think uh, you, yeah, it was going up to heavenly that you, you finally started to crack a little bit in your, your tiredness. And, uh, we, st- we did stop once, twice. No, we stopped twice actually. And you, you couldn't settle in, but that's when you just, I mean, we just turned the lights out you laid down and I stood there 
Wow, I think I sat there and we I waited to make sure that you didn't oversleep for one <laughs> and to uh to watch out for the cougars. Which was like a real so I guess we should just like preface to people too. Going up to Heavenly, it's uh, like a just a dirt trail and you're sort of winding through some of these huge rock structures. And so here I am, it's nighttime. We're looking for a place to sleep, but what we're actually what I'm actually doing is like running up the side of a mountain. So one side is rocks, like the rock face of the mountain. And then the other side is like a slope down. So like here we are looking for places to sleep. And I remember one place in particular was sort of like yeah, a, little, a, a little cave. It was like a cave. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to describe it. I'm like trying to think about how to describe this. It was like a big rock and then there was like a hole. So it was like definitely a cave. I just sort of like, cr- I, I was very nervous that, that something was going to come out of said cave, but I just sort of curled up into this little ball in this cave and laid down <clears throat> and we turned off our lights and it got so dark. It was so dark because by this time point, like people had sort of really thinned out. Um, and there weren't, there were lots of people on the course, but just, we were sort of in this like dead zone where nobody else was. And I just laid there and I just, my whole body was sort of vibrating, you know, just like you've been moving for, you know, two, three days straight. You can't just like flip the switch and you know, power down immediately. Although I will say that if I were to do this again, I would definitely get better at my napping game because I do think that would have helped me. So yeah, we'd like just trying to power down inside this rock cave and it just was not happening. We tried that a couple times. I couldn't get comfortable. It just like, it wasn't happening. So yeah, we really just had to like push through the tiredness. <laughs> the part of that from my standpoint was I wasn't tired because this was my first night. So I'm like, Hey, let's go. But you were. And so, you know, I'll, I just sit idly by and wait and, you know, keep an eye on the time. And when it's, when, if you actually did fall asleep, then I was going to have to get you up, which would have been interesting, but <laughs> look out. No, um, that and the tough, I think that's all that happened that first night. Nothing catastrophic or major happened. It was just mostly like, yeah, we got to get through this, um, you know, night to get to the halfway point and that, that climb and just the mental low and just thinking that, that, that aid station was just around the next corner, just around the next corner, just up ahead was, I think that more than anything. And so that's that more than anything, I think took a real toll on both of us. And so that's why I always say to people, you know, be really be really mindful of the things that you say to runners during a race because, and I know this isn't necessarily their responsibility, but just sort of put yourself in their shoes. They're, you know, in my, in my case, I was heading towards a hundred miles. It was dark. I was tired. Like, you know, hearing, oh, it's just up ahead. While it seems really benign, if it's not like Jocelyn says, like close enough for you to fall across and pass out, please don't say it. Like, please come up with, you know, practice a couple other things. Like I don't, like I would rather hear looking good, keep going than, oh, it's just up ahead. Even if I look like absolute shit and I'm sure I did, (laughs) right? Like I don't, I don't want to hear it's just up ahead because I'm really banking on that. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I want to lay down. Like if it's not right there, don't tell me that. Yeah, You don't know where that runner's at. You don't know if they're struggling or if they're having a great time. And to say you're almost there or it's right up ahead is just, it can be catastrophic. 
and, and you can you can break somebody like that without any problem, especially after 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And that's really where like your own. And so I'm like sort of calling out people for saying that, but also flipping the mirror around like you also have to have a really strong mental game. And so every time someone said that to us or we thought it was just right around the corner, I don't remember the exact strategy that I did, but I sort of just dug back in and was like, OK, well, I think you and I probably even I'm sort of having remembrances of this now. Like we were sort of like, well, we don't really have any other options. So fuck it. Let's keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At that point, the the only option was to get back to Adam. That's the only way, even if we were going to quit, we still had to get up the hill. It didn't matter. Yeah. Nobody was coming to get us. Like there wasn't an easy extraction point. (laughs) And, uh, and I absolutely, oh, and that was the other thing. I absolutely remember because I, I have the ability to fall asleep fairly quickly. Yeah, I know it, it totally upsets you it's it's from the the navy days my my military background allows me to sleep on a dime um but i had crashed out in the front of the uh, the, the van and i i snapped up when i heard you say i'm done and i'm like holy that and you know for you what do you say okay let's go home so it took a minute for that to process especially when you're half asleep when you hear that and i'm sitting there and i'm going i'm processing it and processing it and i'm like okay, I think she's just eating. Is she really done? Or do we just wait this out and maybe Adam will talk her off the cliff? So I said, okay. So I, and and I went back to sleep and I said, I will deal with this when I wake up if I need to. And uh, oddly enough, every morning that we woke up though, and this happened like that every morning I woke up after pacing you, I was so freaking cold. I don't know if you had the same experience. I just could not warm back up after those those night legs for some reason, and I, I think that really hampered me in trying to get up a couple times to uh, to help you get out of the aid station. Fortunately, Adam was there and he was able to get you out of the aid station. But from a crew standpoint, I I didn't do a good job of getting up because I couldn't. I was just too busy shivering. Mm-hmm. Okay, we should go back though because I didn't say I was done. I said. <laughs> I did say I was done, but what I was talking about was like the food that Adam had gotten for me. So like when he, when Frank heard me say I'm done, it was me literally to, to your previous point, sitting in the back of the truck, shivering uncontrollably, trying to stuff food in my face, wearing every single layer that I had available to me. Like I had, you know, everything, including a puffy jacket. I was probably wearing two hats, double gloves, like all the, all the clothes I had, but just shaking uncontrollably. And Adam was like, well, let's like get you more clothes. I'm like, no, this isn't necessarily that I'm cold. I just can't stop the shivering. It just is like my body's response to whatever's happening. He's like, okay. So he had handed me some food. I had done my best to sort of force it down and I couldn't do it anymore. And he was like, are you done? And I'm like, yes, I'm done. And that's what Frank heard in the front of the truck was like me saying I'm done with the food, but he processed it. Like Megan's saying she's over it. Like she's, she's quit. <laughs> and going back to to my duties as the pacer, I heard you say that, and at that moment, I'm like, okay, we're at the truck. Adam's talking to you, and we're good. So I I just need to shut down so I can be ready for whatever happens next. So once I knew that you were okay, even if you said you were done or you weren't done or with with food or with the race, I needed to take care of myself first. So then I can then I can go back and help you. And and part of being the pacer was or is my safety comes first. I mean, obviously I'm there for you, but I need to take care of myself or else I'm junk for you. Or your liability to to me and the race and to yourself. And it and yeah, and you, you just it turns into a bigger 
you know, now we have double problem. (laughs) Not only am I, you know, am I totally exhausted. Now you're totally exhausted. And the two of us have to, you know, get to the next aid station, which could, could end up being a real slog. Yep. Yeah. So I I think it's not giving everything I got, try to get to the end. I got to take care of myself in order to take care of you too. So I think that's, that was a thought process going through my head at that. When I heard that, I'm like, Adam's got it. And again, that's the, it's, I guess it's the, uh, the ultra runner alpha mentality that you got to control everything and, you know, just got to let some things go. And it's just at the moment, it, it wasn't important enough for me to get involved because I wouldn't have been able to do anything. I do think there, there is a point though. Um, and so this, I'm going to sort of speak for Adam because, um, because he's not here to speak for himself, but like, you know, we had had some conversations ahead of time about me quitting and, you know, at what point, under what circumstances. And so I think that's a valuable conversation for you to have with your pacer and or your crew and to understand when that needs to happen versus when the person is just sort of crying wolf and, you know, is just succumbing to the exhaustion and the tiredness and the lack of food and the, you know, lack of sleep and all that stuff. So there is sort of a fine line, right? You don't want to push that person to where it becomes dangerous, but all also, you need to understand that there may come a time where they say they're done, but then the the question I always ask myself and the question that I have posed to basically, I th- I'm pretty sure I've said it at some point in one of these podcast episodes is like, ask yourself this question, will you, how will you feel about that decision tomorrow? And so if you can honestly sit there and say that you will feel good about it because of X, Y, and Z and be confident in that decision, then that's fine. But if it's just because you're tired, cranky, low blood sugar over it. Like, you know, you're just maybe not mentally tough enough. That's a completely other story. And if you were to fast forward to even, even the next hour, oh gosh, who was I talking to recently that they ended up bailing on a race and they were like, um, even, even within the hour, even after just less than an hour after I had quit, I had already known that I'd made the wrong decision because like, even if I just let a little bit of time pass and, or I I had thought about it a little bit more, I would have stayed in the game. I would have kept going. So I I love that question. And that was, you know, I, I consistently asked myself that throughout the process of doing this run and being like, okay, well, I regret this decision. Like I'm over it. Am I at the level of quitting? Will I regret this decision tomorrow? How will I feel about it? And it was always like, oh, I will be so pissed if I wake up tomorrow morning, you know, or if I even let X amount of time go by um, and I and I haven't accomplished this goal. So sort of fast forwarding to where we were a few minutes ago where, where I left heavenly. And I will also say that there is nothing better than like getting fresh sunshine and like you know, sunlight helps shift the mood completely. So when I got up a few hours later, maybe not even a few hours later, like maybe even like an hour later, I had slept a little bit, gotten some food, um, left the aid station. I knew that I had to light a fire under my ass and I had to make up a lot of time because my plan was for to always have like maybe two or three hours banked even more. I would have loved more than that um, to have a cushion for instances or things that maybe were going to potentially go wrong. And I needed a little bit of backup time. So I sort of, after I made the, the nice part was I had to go up just a little and then down a lot. So that really helped <laughs> make up some time. Um, And then the next little bit of 
of trail was just this real fun sort of like swoopy stuff that I could run a lot of, which surprised me because after hundred miles, you think, Oh, you're, you're not going to be able to run. I mean, I, I honestly thought that the second half would be mostly walking, but because I needed to bank that time, I forced myself to run a good amount, um, to try to make up that time. Yeah. And I think that actually that had, when I was pacing you later on, you started running and I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> she's running this is my i want to sleep run i think is what you called it but yeah you actually you came out of heavenly and and down to spooner and we had adam and i had gone back to the condo we got some sleep and we're trying to figure out where we were i spent a lot of time on that excel sheet if it kept track of the number of edits made there would be in the thousand because i was on that thing constantly trying to adjust the numbers and see how much rest we could get and still make cutoffs and the math wasn't looking good it was it was looking pretty grim. Now I'm getting ready for a night leg where I got to tell you that, you know, we, we, we and I think I actually said to you when we started out off a, out of Spooner, and that was the 50, that was the 50K that we ended up doing, or I ended up doing with you, that I said to you, you know, at some time, some point soon, we're going to have to start having some serious discussions. And you acknowledged, but you didn't say anything at that point. And it came up again. I said, I said more or less the same thing to you again. And and you you had said, okay, just tell me. In in some form or fashion, you you were ready. The first time I said it, I don't think you were ready to listen, or you weren't ready to to process that information. And the second time I said it, you were ready to process that information that I had for you, because I think in the back of your head you knew we were in trouble. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was fully, I was fully aware that I was in trouble. I was fully aware that I needed to go and that I, um, didn't have the luxury of fucking around. Yeah. And even though you did make up an hour and a half going into Spooner, which threw Adam and I all off. And that, that was at that point, I felt remarkably better about the whole situation. <laughs> um, to see you actually in a better, better shape and making up time. But anyway, I, this is interesting though, because like I never, I mean, I fully recognize that there were definite points where I probably looked terrible, moved terribly, like, you know, shivering uncontrollably, like all that stuff. I never really ever felt, I was never at the point of giving up ever. Um, I mean, even going up to heavenly, um, and it being just brutal, I was the only way that I was willing to accept a DNF was if I timed out on the course. I mean, we talked about that before. Um, and so I just knew that I had to throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. So I made up that time and then, you know, I was open. I think I I do remember you saying like, yeah, well, we need to make up some time or else we're going to have to have a discussion. And I was like, okay, heard we're making up time. It wasn't like I didn't want to hear it or I wasn't open to the discussion. I was like, okay, the only viable option here is for us to go and I'm down to go. You just tell me what the pace needs to be in order. Cause I knew, right. Cause like you talked about the spreadsheet, So just for some context, someone in the Tahoe 200 group had put together this Excel spreadsheet who has skills far beyond my skills that basically would help you do the math, time in, time out uh, of aid stations, and then what your finishing time would be. So Frank was in and out of that spreadsheet. I mean, even while we were running, I have memories of you. I don't remember what leg it was on, maybe Brockway to 
Tahoe city. I mean, all the time, um, on that spreadsheet on his phone, like doing some calculations as to, okay, where, you know, where are we at? What's the timing? You know, how fast do we have to go? Like once I had gotten myself to hundred miles, And then once I had gotten myself back to Spooner, which is about 118 miles, after that, I sort of abdicated timing responsibilities to you and, you know, just sort of asked you to tell me, how am I doing? How, how far ahead am I? And so for me, I always had this sense of strategic urgency in the back of my mind. Like I never, I mean, there were a couple of times on a daytime leg where I sat down and took like a like a Courtney DeWalter, like one minute power nap, which I never actually like fell asleep, but it's amazing how much better I felt after just going horizontal, not even horizontal. I propped myself up next to a stump, like just for, you know, two or three minutes, I felt so much better, but I just never let myself get to the point where I was going to stop moving as quickly as I possibly could in that moment because I I didn't want to have to time out on the course. I didn't want to go into an aid station and have somebody say, I'm sorry, you missed the cutoff. You can't go. And so I was just always like, we're going, <laughs> we're going, we're moving, we're going. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and and maybe that was the point where you started running and you know, this is my, I want to sleep run. Maybe that was, that was when that happened because we started moving. And you were already moving, and I was just trying to keep up at that point. <laughs> um, but fortunately, I mean, coming out of there, we had some beautiful views because it was, I had to get into, because the next aid station at uh, Tunnel Creek was no pacer. So that's why I ended up staying with you 50K. And so I got to enjoy some, you know, amazing views from up up on the, the ridge over, over of, uh, what was that, South Lake Tahoe, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, we, we got had a sunset a, up there, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we had a fun time on that one. That was a lot of fun. And, and yeah. uh, windy, windy. Oh, jeez, oh, man, out. the wind that was brutal. Um. Oh, and that's where the uh, runner down was. The the young lady that hurt her knee. That I had to give oh, up my yeah. my uh, my uh, ace bandage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, always be prepared, people. Always yep. be prepared. <laughs> so again, okay, we'll go back as a pacer. Um, I, I always, whenever I do alters, I, or do any hiking, I carry this, you were actually, I use, wow, that's quite a med kit. Um, I carry a med kit with me that has anything I'll need. It's not huge. I mean, it's a couple pounds, not that much, but it, there's a significant amount of stuff in it for myself and for anybody specifically you, my runner. Um, if you needed something, I didn't, I wanted to be able to, you know, be there or, in this case, for another runner that had hurt her knee and needed an ace bandage, I carry an ace bandage. Only one. So if, if anything had happened after that, we would have been in trouble. But I mean, how often does that happen? <laughs> um, yeah. So that was another uh, pacer tip is be ready, carry a first aid kit. Yeah. And just for context, like, um, there was a whole list. I, we talked about it in the Tahoe 200 recap episode. Like there's a whole list of mandatory gear that I was supposed to have. And then Frank was also supposed to have basically the same gear because for this race, there are large stretches. I mean, you know, 20, 20 ish miles where you're going to be out in literally the middle of nowhere. And so it's up to you. It's on you, baby. Like you need to bring what you need to bring in order to keep yourself safe. And so you know, I had 
a little, I had a little bit of a med kit, not as extensive as Frank's because, you know, here I'm, I'm trying to, so there's like a balance. I'm sort of jumping all over the place, but there's sort of a balance with like how much stuff you are required to bring and then how much stuff you actually want to carry for 200 miles. (laughs) So having a pacer is nice because, you know, they're not allowed to mule for you. Like they're not allowed to carry gear for you. But if in the event that you need something, they can provide you some aid, right? So should I have needed uh, an extensive medical intervention of, you know, whatever Frank had in his med kit, like that would have been available to me. So, I mean, definitely just because you're pacing, just because you're fresh-ish, right? Like you're just coming into this, especially if you're just doing one leg, don't take it for granted. Even if it is a, a short leg or a long leg, don't take it for granted. Like definitely have the things that you might need because your your runner is not fresh. <laughs> I think the, the other thing to add onto that is you, I think you'd mentioned I was required to carry everything. So, and the thing is, if I get busted for not having what I need, you get DQ'd. Correct. And oh man, I do not want to be that person. Yep. So that's just like, you have to pay attention to the rules. I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You definitely want to pay attention to the rules. Yeah. And so I went into it as if I was the runner with that mentality. And then I always, because I am who I am, I, I always carried a little bit more just in case. And yeah, I can't mule for you. I can't give you anything per se, but I can help. And if things get bad, you know, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take care of you. So, or take care of myself or anything else. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we had gotten into like a really bad way, you know, rules be damned. Like if I needed water or food or, you know, aid, like it's, it comes down to your actual personal safety first and foremost, you know, luckily that didn't happen. We didn't, we didn't have any need for that, but, but another runner did, and she really tweaked her knee and Frank was able to give her, um, an ACE bandage and some other, um, uh, tape to keep it on. And that was a real, like she, that was definitely like a real mental boost for her as well. She ended up passing me. <laughs> yeah, I think she did finish too. I think I saw her at the finish line. She did finish. Yeah. Or see so her finishing. But yep. anyway, um, and that got us to oh tunnel. the Jeep trails. So we came out of tunnel. Hated. The Jeep trails. Yeah, they went uh, the the uh, they always these Jeep trails go up and then there's like to keep water from running oh, straight down the hill. They those, have a little yes the hump. Those are the and worst. You, oh, you complained the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in my defense, it's what, night four? Yeah, uh, three okay. or four, yeah. Night four. Three. Night three? Three. One, yep. two, three. Yep, night three. Um but even going down those, I disliked that section immensely as well. Just it was just, you know miles and miles of going down these Jeep roads that were almost like little roller coaster whoops. And, um, but on the way back, you're just going up and it sort of would level out and you, you would only be able to see obviously as far as your head headlight, your, your beam. And then you would see the crest and think, yes, we're at the top. And then it would just level out and then it would go up again. And that was really where I was like, mother, like, when are these things going to stop? <laughs> Yeah, there were there were two phrases that you always I can't repeat them here, can I? <laughs> mm-hmm. We swear on this podcast. I'll put an yeah. I'll put an explicit. Yeah, mother motherfucker was a big one. <laughs> oh, and what was the other one? You always said it in threes. Um, 
uh, I'll come back to me. There was there was there's a word you use, and it always came out three times. So whenever I heard it once, I knew it was coming two more times. Oh, wasn't it? I just kept saying shit, 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 didn't I? Oh no, it wasn't shit. Nah, I don't, anyway, um, I'll come back to you. But I do I do recall. I was just like, oh no, it was my feet, wasn't it? I was like, ow, ow, ow. Oh, ow, ow, ow. Yep, yeah. yep. That's what it was. Yep. There we go. <laughs> yeah, your feet. Of course, your feet were not or needed. Uh, assistance every time we got to the aid station yeah they were not no. doing well um yeah. so ow 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 yeah they always came out in threes ow 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 yeah. <laughs> um because on the jeep roads there were all those sharp rocks like and it doesn't matter what kind of shoes you have on after a hundred and uh, like 35 140 miles my feet were sort of like tenderized beef like it was just there was no real comfort that was going to be happening <laughs> So going into, and also you had, uh, oh no, that was Spooner. You you had decided that you wanted about fifteen minutes. You broke out the uh, your uh, bivy bag, and so once again you yeah because you crashed, and I I hung out. I just laid there, um, and waited. I think uh, fifteen minutes. So I I set. I think you set an alarm, and then I set an alarm. Um, so for fifteen minutes. And then uh, you got your feet checked, and I got you food. Oh, that's where I scored the ramen. That's what it is. And you know, just and going back, your job as a pacer, feed your runner, <laughs> feed them, S- source lots of food for them. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I, I did good. I scored a lot of food. You on did the, on do the... a lot of good. I, I cannot recommend. However, I mean, I was very happy to have the noodles. I cannot recommend trying to run and eat ramen at the same time. Like. Yeah. We, we did well. not do well with that, but I did manage to down quite a bit of uh, food coming out of that aid station. That is actually ironically after the birds, the the haunted birds that <laughs> lay down in the middle oh, of the trail the, and scare the, the shit out of you. Zombie, <laughs> zombie birds. birds. Yeah, I, don't, I still don't. I don't know if they were sleeping, and if they're sleeping, they're horrible at yeah. avoiding predators. I, they were definitely sleeping. I, I, I just I can't because I could have caught them. You could I, have. You could have. I, I had them dead to rights. <laughs> I know. Then, then I what? Know. I don't know. Would have been yeah. probably would not have been a good idea. I'm glad we didn't. No. Um, no. no. Um, yeah. So coming out of there, we that was when I started. Well, that was when we did a lot of the pavement section down by the water, <laughs> the outhouse, which I did not enjoy, and that was like super windy. And then this is where I started to not remember stuff. Like oh, you, you remember the porta potty. <laughs> can we talk about that? I think we can tell the porta potty story now because it's like it's like six months. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh do you want to tell it? Do you want? No, I think we okay. Should tell so, <laughs> coming out of Spooner, no, coming out. Of, I'm sorry, coming out of Tunnel Creek, there is a long stretch of road. And then you got to wind up another long stretch of road up the side of a mountain. Through and then, a residential area. Through we residential, say. yeah. And then, and then hit the power lines. Um, through this, a million dollar oh, these residential were area. Like nice. High houses. end homes. Yeah, right on the lake. Like it was the road. There was some enough room for a house and it was the lake. So these are, you know, high end million dollar houses. And uh, I'm not sure why, but. Oh, I mean, we both had to to pee, and you know that that happens. And in the when we're on the trail, it's like no big deal. Just find a 
find a spot. But here we are in this high-end residential district. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, every single one of these houses has cameras. So we're going to be constantly monitored. So I can't just stop beside a tree, even though it's the middle of the night. And lo and behold, there's a porta potty on the other side of the street. I'm like, all right, it's on the, it's on the kind of on the sidewalk. So that's, that's public property works for me. So I went over and sure enough, it's unlocked. And I step in and it's not leveled. <laughs> and the thing goes, I mean, I, I thought a gunshot went off. It was so loud, the plastic door slamming and everything rolling around. So I, I do what I need to do and I come out and you need to go. And I'm like, careful. <laughs> Does it roll? And I'm just, and the whole time I'm waiting for somebody to come out of this house, go and get out of mm-hmm. my porta potty. Mm-hmm. What time do you think this was? And, it was like uh, one or two in the morning, maybe? It was early in the morning. Yeah. It was yeah. one or two in the morning. It was, it was that time of morning where that mm-hmm. I enjoy. It's that, you know, like one, two in the morning, you know, everything's mm-hmm. quiet and it's just, it's very peaceful. I, I, and then you get to three o'clock and then everything goes downhill. But, um, but yeah, that, I mean, I was, I was cracking up while you were in there and the thing's kind of rolling around and I'm looking at the house waiting for a I light mean, to go. <laughs> the whole time I was in there, I, you know, it was, we, I did not, I reluctantly used it because obviously I don't want to like go on, you know, it wasn't on, it wasn't on private property. It was on the sidewalk. Like I, I but I just, we didn't have any other choice. Like I really, I mean, when you're trying to hyper hydrate yourself and like stay on top of your food, like you just, and I had peed at the aid station. It just, it is what it is. Like we, yeah, you know, so not, not 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> yeah. But that was just, you know, you're, you're sort of at that point, you know, where fluids are sort of just going right through you. Um, mm. so I got in there and I was trying to be super quiet. And of course I have all these layers and of course, like, it's obviously easier for Frank to just go pee real quick. And like, I, here I am with all my layers trying to like shimmy my, sh- shimmy my shorts down and like not drop anything in the porta potty. Like that's what I was really worried about. Like wear all my gloves and everything. And then trying to be quiet and trying to be respectful of the neighbors. And like, the thing is just rocking, like, tippy ever so slightly just enough to be and I could only I was laughing to myself and thinking like please dear god do not let this thing tip over (laughs) (laughs) luckily it didn't we got in and out of there unscathed thank you to whoever's construction site porta potty that was I I have to imagine that we probably were not the only people to have used it um but I I don't know for sure but um we we tried to be as respectful as possible yeah considering it's okay I mean it was it was kind of right on the sidewalk, so I can't imagine, you know, there weren't a couple other runners that didn't decide. And it was the only one for, I mean, we're talking like miles of road, yeah. miles of uh, residential houses that, you know, people were blissfully sleeping very quietly, yeah. <laughs> Un- unaware of our shenanigans in the street. <laughs> oh, but I know those ring cameras were going off oh, all over the I'm place sure. as we we're going by. I'm sure. Um and then it was the power lines, the the hour of the power lines, which I, I have no words. I don't know what to say about it. I mean, but I did call it. You asked how long was it going to take us to do these power lines. Oh, you were dead on. And I was like, I think it's about to take us about it. Because actually, this is funny because I knew how much this was going to suck. Um, and I specifically didn't show you any video of this because I had taken a video going from the top down. And I specifically didn't show it to you because... I didn't want to do that to you. (laughs) So I knew 
how difficult it was going to be. And so this is an actually an interesting, uh, flip of the rules, I was actually trying to manage a little bit your expectations and not tell you everything because I didn't want you to be frustrated by this. But it was a long, very steep, very challenging climb with, I mean, if I don't know how anybody did that without poles, first and foremost. So I really tried to downplay it just a little bit and was just like, I think it's going to take us about an hour. And I, I was shocked that I was right. Cause I thought like, okay, an hour seems reasonable, like to go all that distance, but I would not have been surprised if it had taken us longer than that. Yeah. The, the only thing I could equate it to was, um, I did loon with, uh, Tom Hooper in 603 and that last section of, of loon. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing I could equate it to. It was probably, you know, 20, 25 degrees. It was more than 20. It had to be more than 20. And it was just stupid. And Hand over and fist, I'm, yeah. And, I, and I'm glad it was dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lights were discouraging because I could see, mm-hmm. are, the, are those stars? No, those are runners. Oh, crap. Um, and yeah, and I don't, I, I don't know if it would have been disheartening if you had told me about it, but... Some things you just... I think this is also... Like, this is an interesting point, too. Like, again, going back to the drama thing, like, there was no need for me to make it dramatic. Like, I did tell you when I came down and then I, when I came down it and saw you, I was like, oh man, that power line section. And I definitely told you like, this is like very much like BFC, like, you know, Barclayville classic, like not to, not that you have experience there, but like, you've heard me tell stories about that. So like, you know, sort of what that's like. And so I did sort of give it a little bit of drama when I saw it the first time. But then when we got back to it, I tried to just give you the facts and be like, yep, we're going up and it's going to take us a while. So just buckle up, you know? Um, and I think if you can, as a pacer, if you can do that for your runner sometimes too, just give them the facts. Don't dramatize it. Like don't color it, just give them the facts, you know, maybe, maybe tell a white lie here or there. Right. But just sort of, you know, what do they need to know? keep the, what they don't need to know aside and just let them sort of work the problem that's in front of them. So like, you know, if you had told, or if I had told you, or you had told me like about something crazy that was going to happen after the power lines, like that's, that doesn't help me. Like I need to tackle this obstacle first and then I can worry about that. So don't get two or three steps ahead of your person either. And I think not to backtrack a little bit, but, um, I don't know at what point you told me, but we had been using the, uh, oh, what's the game? The game cards, the questions, they were. uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I don't have the name in front of me. I'll have to look that back up. Um, But they were just, they're just general knowledge questions. And, you know, stuff, stuff you should know. And maybe that was the name of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, things you should know. Yeah, the the first night I had brought a few of them with me. And, uh, the second night, I think this, the second leg I ran with you, you had said those help keep, keep those, keep coming with those. Cause I didn't know if they were helping or not. I used them every once in a while. And, uh, I think that's, that's the feedback that I needed from you was like, okay, this is helping do this. So I dived in and I, I ended up bringing, I gave some to Adam too. Uh, <laughs> he went with you, um, to try to, to keep the mind active in and in away from what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, 
I'm just trying to actually look up the name of that because I know I made a post about it and then I forgot, I promptly forgot about um, what the name of the game is. Yeah, but, I can remember where um, you know, we on one of our longer training runs were trying to come up with ways to pass the time um, during Tahoe, like game planning. And I think, I think I had said at some point, like, oh, we could bring like trivial pursuit cards or something. And then you ended up finding this game and you, you brought it and, and it, it was very, you know, everybody sort of manages tiredness differently. But for me, when Frank started to ask me these questions and I'm trying to remember some of them, but they were basically, you know, sort of like trivial pursuit questions, like just, but much simpler. But yes, yeah, some of them were hard. I, I mean, some of them were, there were lots of like pop culture things and I'm um, some that I got like straight off the bat and then some that I really had to work for um, partially because my brain was super tired, but also because I just didn't have uh, knowledge about that specific topic or whatever. But it was interesting to me that this I could have been super, super tired. And then the second Frank started asking me these questions, it was like my brain, it was like somebody flipped the light switch on and my brain came back online and was like, okay, now I have a different problem to solve, meaning I have to answer these questions. And it just made all the difference in the level of my fatigue. So maybe, you know, if you're listening to this and you're going to pay somebody or you're somebody who's going to be, you know, doing a hundred mile or something, and you're trying to come up with strategies like having game cards like this or um, another person. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Oh, yeah. Dad. Yeah. You told me so many dad jokes, none of which I remember, but all of which were very, very good. Um, just things that will help to keep your brain engaged will go a long way towards helping you combat that excessive tiredness. Yeah. Because I think trying to entertain somebody for, you know, 20, 30 hours mm-hmm. is... Mm-hmm. I can't talk that much. I mean, Mm-mm. I probably could, but it's nothing you want to hear. Um, so that gave me the opportunity, <laughs> especially when I found the cards, because I was going through them and it, it wasn't, I didn't see it like Trivia Pursuit, because I think Trivia Pursuit is incredibly difficult. Um, You're right, it is. But these cards, I mean, I was, I'm was i flipping through them going, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know. So that gave me an opportunity to not tax your brain, but at the same time, keep you mentally engaged. You're going to feel silly. No, I just found it. I do feel silly. Well, I should have known that. <laughs> I should have known that. <laughs> Best card game ever. Yeah. No, yeah. that that is um that is definitely one of those things too. It's like, you know, you and I had the added benefit of um well or curse, right? Of like spending 28 hours at Ghost Train together. So we like told all the stories. We had run out of all the stories to tell. So, you know, if this is the first time you're pacing somebody, you might have a lot of stories to tell. We didn't you know, we could have retold them, but like having those cards, having the dad jokes, like, you know, just having things to occupy your brain is going to help a lot. By far, that was, those were lifesavers. Um, took the burden off of me to try to entertain you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it like, that's the other thing too, is like some people might want to talk a lot. Some people might just want to like hone in on the task, you know, put one foot in front of the other. Like they may not need you to sort of entertain them, but just instead keep tabs on them. So I guess like that's part of the conversation that you should have with your runner and pacer. Like how much do you want to talk? You know, how, how, how little do you want to talk? What do you, what do you want to do? Like, should I ask you questions or, you know, like sort of just get a feel for how they want to go. And then the other part of that is, you know, Adam and I had this rule for ghost train, you know, cause there are going to be times when you're tired and you're going to get short with someone 
you know, you may snap at them or whatever. We sort of had this rule that like anything that I said or he said during the context of the race didn't count. right? So like it was sort of like a gap in the time space continuum. And so just sort of understanding and then not taking anything that your pacer or your runner says personally is huge because again, you're sort of in this event under stress, you know, stuff is going to happen. And like, if you take everything that someone says super personally, it's going to make for a really difficult experience versus again, just the facts don't color it, like keep it to sort of like keep it all business when it needs to be. And then if something happens, just sort of let it roll off your back and don't take it personally because guaranteed, like, I'm sure I said stuff to you or you said stuff to me. I don't remember it. Like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Like, let's just get this job done is sort of the way I look at it. So <laughs> like, that's just something else to keep in mind. Yeah. It's what happens on the trail stays on the trail. And I think you can, you can take stories, but thing, things happen. And after 200 miles, you never know what's going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to the point where like, you know, when we were doing that, that night shuffle, so like we got to the top of the power lines and then we started to, you know, make our way through. And then when we came down and had to go from, so we got into Brockway. No, we got into Tahoe City. And so I'm specifically talking about, I guess, like trying to find Stephen Jones was like the part for me from Tahoe City to Stephen Jones where I was doing this night running thing because I, I was just shuffling and running while sleeping because I was so tired and I wanted to sleep. And like, I'm sure I said stuff during that leg that was incoherent that, you know, I had no idea. Like I kept, you know, I kept telling you, I don't remember this. And I truly didn't. It wasn't because I didn't trust you. It was just like, at one point I do think I said, like, I truly don't recall this. So you're, we're probably right. And I have just, you know, mentally blocked it out. I'm a hundred and, you know, 50 miles into this. And even though it was only four days ago, I have zero recollection of this and that's, that's going to happen. So, you know, that's when we really just, we, you stopped relying on me and started relying on the the map, the Gaia map, because obviously that's the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that goes back to, I, I went into it thinking that I was the runner or in, under the attitude. And that's why I had the app with me then. So I could find my way too, because I couldn't rely on, I knew there'd come a point where I couldn't rely on you anymore. That wasn't a surprise to me. Um, and I didn't know what that would look like. And, but I had a feeling and after three days, yeah, you're going to get a little loopy. I think the first clue was when you started seeing things. The The guy in the woods that you swore was there, I, I still, I'm not sure about that one. Well, okay. So again, for context, my brain, it wasn't that I was hallucinating things that weren't there. So some people will talk about like, you know, I saw a panda, a dancing panda. Like I didn't see any of that sort of like, you know, trippy kind of things. What happened to me was all the trees and just the general landscape, instead of seeing them for what they were, my brain started to turn them into shapes. So you know how like when you look up in the sky and you think, oh, that cloud looks like X, Y, or Z. Well, that's what my brain was doing with all of the trees and the the stumps and the whatever. And so, you know, the woman with the bird in her hand is like the one that I, I remember the most. But then truly, this is the thing that sort of freaks me out is this guy in the woods. Because this 
you know, and it was so funny because like you were like, well, I don't have my contacts in, so I can't see that far. And here I am thinking like, oh shit, this guy is like, this is weird. Like this guy is in the woods. He's like following us. Like, you know, he's just doing some weird shit. I, to this day, do not know if that guy was real or if my brain was making something look like a human form, but it was very real to me. And I remember this sort of like feeling of panic, like we're in the middle of nowhere. What is this dude doing standing in the middle of the woods, like looking at nothing except sort of looking at us and like scoping out runners. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to swear whether it was real or not. I mean, my sense now is that it was not real, but it was just very real to me. That was the first time because we had, you had said, oh, I see that over there. Oh, that's over there. And uh, I think it was Julie. You saw your friend, Julie. Was that her name? We kind of laughed it off. This was the first time you were serious. And I kept looking and I'm like, I I got nothing. (laughs) First of all, I can't see that far. Second of all, I don't see anything anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, especially if you're doing hundred miles, even if you're doing 50 miles, like depending on, you know, the person's threshold, like they might start to get a little loopy and you have to really sort of be the voice of reason and discern, okay, are they, is this an acceptable amount of loopy or like, you know, are they a danger to themselves? Like, what do I need to be sort of, you know, and I don't want to, I don't, I guess I don't want to paint this whole pacing thing as like a super difficult task. There are just some things that you want to sort of be aware of and like understand that over time your runner is going to get super tired. Their brain's not going to be processing things the right way. They will, um, you know, they'll forget to eat and drink. Like you'll have to sort of be there caregiver like you're going to play a, you're going to wear a lot of different hats and we're trying to sort of just paint the picture of what all of those potential hats or roles might be so that you can go into it sort of knowing what you've signed up for yeah because i this is the first time i had actually paced we had spent the the ghost train together but pacing was my first experience with actually pacing so i went into it with pretty a pretty open mind and you know i had i had poked around and and try to find some um, some articles on you know how do you pace <laughs> so and it's it's more of an art form and knowing your runner for I think for the for the average Joes for you know for these professionals is probably an entirely different story but you got to go into it with an open mind and just be willing to give give up yourself a little bit and and understand that this isn't about I think I said it before, this isn't about me. This is about you finishing the race and doing what I can to help you do that. From the runner's perspective, trusting the other person to you know, get you through it and being able to give up some of that, some of that type A personality control that, uh, that you, you, you know, oh, I got to control everything. No, you can't. And that person in front of you or behind you, depending on how you want to pace is, is the one that's going to get you to where you need to go ultimately. And you just got to have a little faith. And I'm super type A, you know, like I love to have a plan, love to make lots of lists, like want to know what the steps are going to be. And I mean, I think I sort of talked about it before, but, you know, after the hundred mile turnaround and then, you know, I was kind of self-sufficient probably up until Tunnel Creek, um, well, Spooner, I guess, when I picked you back up again. Um, But then I really abdicated responsibility for, I want to say for myself, but like not 
wholly for myself because I was still basically, you know, eating and drinking and like managing my layers and my feet. And the, but I abdicated responsibility for my pacing and for my directions to you. And I, you know, when we were doing this whole, I'm tired, night running, sleeping thing, I was basically locked onto the back of your feet running, um, just watching your feet. And that was actually what was sort of like making me even more tired because the monotony of that was actually sort of like lulling me to sleep. So that's when I had, we had to reintroduce the cards and whatnot. But I mean, at that point I knew that I wasn't capable of making the decisions and pacing myself to get me to, to Tahoe city or to Stephen Jones, excuse me, in the right amount of time. And so like that section for me feels like the most pivotal because had I been left to my own devices, I would have timed out on the course because I would have probably fallen asleep and then not gotten back up again. Yeah. Cause on that one, we, you actually did fall asleep at least once. We stopped twice that I can recall off the top of my head. Once right on the side of the trail. Yep. On the side of that and mountain. Once, yep somehow we got off trail there was two trails and somehow we ended up on the wrong one and we stopped like right in the middle of it and mm -hmm. you were out mm -hmm. <laughs> so and there, and there we sat for a few minutes yeah um yeah i was never fully asleep but i was yeah out like i was you know i was shutting yeah. down in a good way like i, I you know powering yeah down, I guess and, I, should and say. I think that was the important it was you said i remember you saying okay i need to stop and I still knew you were okay, but I could, and we still, and I, and here I, and I'm watching the time and seeing how much time we got left to do gear and there, and we're doing good. Okay. We're doing good. We can stop. We got 10 minutes. I'll give you 10 minutes. And because the way we, we, you and I run, I was always in front of you. So I would start hunting out a spot and then, okay, you know, this is a good spot. I can, there's enough room for us, both of us to sit here. You can crash out for a minute and I'll just turn my light off. And, and that worked out really well because you know, you framing it and being like, all right, you got 10 minutes. I was like, okay. You know, cause it just got to the point where I was just so tired, like no amount of cards, but I didn't have, again, I didn't have the luxury of actually sleeping. Like this wasn't a planned sleep stop. And so these little power naps, even though I wasn't fully asleep, were really helpful to just recharge my batteries, to just sort of go horizontal for a little bit, shut my brain down. I focused on my breathing. I, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of like what I went through. I, I really just tried to power down as best I could, you know, get into my brain and not really think about too much, but just be like, okay, you can do this. Like, you know, just constantly having that thought loop in my head of, okay, what's the objective? What are we here to do? You can do this. Like at no point did I ever let a negative thought enter my head about, oh, you're going to time out on the course or, oh, you don't have enough time or whatever. It was just always, you know, keep moving forwards. What can we do right now? How much time do we have? Okay, go. Like, what's your, what's the fastest you can go? How much time do you have to get to the next place? Like, just keep moving. I mean, that's really what I tried to spend the majority of my time focused on. And, and, you know, again, to your credit, we sort of had this discussion ahead of time. It's like, we don't entertain at all the option that we, you know, stop, we DNF, you know, we, we give up, like, this is not what we do. Right. And so you and I being on the same page about that, we were always solutions oriented, you know, and, and then you took over and you were solution oriented when I was no longer able to do that. And like I said, abdicated my responsibility to you, um, which, which really helps because if, 
your pacer isn't on the same page with your objectives, it's going to be problematic. Yeah, definitely. And, and that, that last leg, uh, that's, you know, to go back full circle. I knew I couldn't rely on you for information anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You are no longer, you, you are no longer a help. (laughs) Megan has left the building. Yeah. And I, and I didn't, I, I knew it was there and, uh, um, going into Spooner, we had to come out onto the road and do mm-hmm. that long uh, bike path run. Mm-hmm. And going down that hill to get on that road, at that point, I knew you weren't there anymore. I could just, I could sense it, and uh, I lost you somewhere on that that section coming down the hill. Um, after that, after that second nap, I think it w- is what it was. And uh, I don't think you ever woke up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you started saying, I don't, I don't recognize any of this. No, I didn't really wake up until um, we were on the, we'd like crossed over that bridge. And then we started to see more cars that were like going to the Stephen Jones aid station. And then that's sort of when I woke up because I realized, okay, we're, we're, we're within striking distance. Like people are driving here, you know, we're, this is, we're getting close. And then obviously that last little, um, that last little rise up to Stephen Jones, I was like, yes, <laughs> like the car, I know I can just get into the car and I can, cause I don't, do you remember how much time we had when we rolled into Stephen Jones? What, what the, how much we had banged? Not off the top of my head. I'd have to look at the, actually, I think I still have it. I'd have to look, go back and look. We were doing good though. I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but by the time we got into Stephen Jones, um, we had at least several hours. I want to say we had, by the time we woke up, I want to say we were two to three hours ahead of the cutoff. Yeah. Do you, cause the, the cutoff was what? One o'clock for the finish line. Three yeah. O'clock. 1 PM. 1 PM. And you finished at 10 30, 10, 9, So you yeah. would, and you didn't lose any time. So yeah, we had no. we had three hours by the time you left Stephen Jones. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like we left Stephen Jones at like, well, it was right before sunup. Um, because we only took yeah, because Adam took Adam took lights only because he, he needed uh, the headlamp for a little bit. Yeah, so I only took one headlamp, and by the time like maybe a couple hundred yards up the trail, we didn't even really need it anymore. So it was probably like five thirty, five five thirty. So it took us four hours to do those 10 miles, um, which seems, which sounds silly, but like it was a lot of vert. <laughs> it was a lot of vert going on and the snow and all that jazz. So, ba- so basically I dropped you off. The funny part was the funny part going back to Frank's ability to just sleep at the drop of a hat. We got into Stephen Jones. <clears throat> I got some food. I got into the back of the truck. I didn't change, didn't even take off my socks. Just I, and then for the last, um, 10 miles, I, I ran, I, well, actually probably the last 30 miles. I hadn't, I didn't take off my socks for the last 30 miles because there was nothing good to be seen there. Like there was nothing anyone could do for me anymore. Like I just needed to grin and bear it. So yeah. Cause you didn't get them checked in Tahoe city. So probably, uh, uh Tunnel Creek was the last time that I can think. Oh, no, Brockway. 
Brockway was the last point. Yes, because the medic at Brockway, because remember that was daytime and he, he, everyone was in line and he had to do both of my feet and he basically had to redo everything on both of my feet. That was the same guy were, that did it in, yes, uh, heavenly. in uh, heavenly. Yep. And that's where I had a burger that I thought I was going to die for when it's so good. <laughs> you never know. And I think that's going, going back to the, the Pacers job and, and, a, and a runner you never know what you're going to want. Nope. And I think every time I went and got something, I got like three different things because mm-hmm. you never know mm-hmm. what, what your runner's going to want. You never know what you're going to want. I had mm-hmm. no idea that I'd want a hamburger. This, this dry hamburger off the grill that probably be sitting, probably been sitting there for half an hour. And, and it was the best hamburger of my life. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And I'm going to fully admit something to you right now. And this is going to shock so many people. I actually, I told, I said this to Adam and I, but I'm going to tell you guys. So I'm vegan, plant-based. I've been plant-based for probably like, go oh God, going on like probably almost 15 years now. That hamburger that you had at that point, I was so hungry. I was so behind on calories too. And like, you know, again, to your credit, like you were pumping me full of food as best you could. And there's only so much you can eat. So you're going to be so tired. I'd never want to have another cup of noodles. I never want, you know, like another, I didn't have another PB and J sandwich for probably like three months. Um, but like I sat there having my feet done, I watched you eat that burger and I seriously considered having a burger because I was so hungry and it smelled so, I mean, like, you know, I still like, it smelled good. And I was just like, whoa, I must be really hungry. Like, I can't believe that I'm going to, like, I'm thinking about that. And I, when I told Adam that he laughed and I was just like, that's when I really knew that I was behind on calories. And then that's when you really started pumping me full of hash browns and whatever else you could get your hands on. I don't even remember at that point, but like soup, oatmeal. I think I ate like three bowls of oatmeal, like just, you know, all the things. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I, I knew you were vegan. That's not a surprise, but, uh, and then, so whenever I went, cause I got you vegan sausage, that's what it was. You did. Yep. Yes. Which I didn't end no. up eating because my stomach was sort of on the, was on a seesaw and I was just like, this could really end up bad, yeah. but I did appreciate that they had yeah. it. That was, that was kind of cool. And, uh, yeah. I, again, that's one of the, one of those conversations you got to have, you know, mm-hmm are you a vegan? Should I bring you a hamburger? <laughs> right. Um, and it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was, and you, you never know what you're going to crave when you're, when you hit those aid stations or the subway sandwich, that one threw me. Oh man. That was like, that was the best. I mean, again, I was just so behind on calories that I just, I mean, I, I was coming into, coming into Tahoe. Tunnel Creek, uh, Tahoe. Yeah. Tahoe. Yeah. Coming into Tahoe. No, Tahoe, Tahoe because, uh, mm-hmm. Adam and I were in separate vehicles because I needed to mm-hmm. catch an airplane that never showed mm-hmm. up. Yeah. I just was like, he texted me and was like, what do you want? And I was like, oh my God, if you could bring me a subway sandwich, like that would be amazing. Cause that was probably like, you know, again, the aid stations had a decent amount of food, but nothing that was like as substantial as a sandwich. I mean, I ate a lot of hash browns. I ate a lot of potatoes. I ate a lot of noodles. PB and J's, um, you know, they had grilled cheese and mac and cheese. So like, you know, stuff that, that other people could eat, but just not that I could eat, um, or that I wanted to eat. Cause I, you know, if it, if it had come to something that I really needed food, like I, I would have eaten, you know, mac and cheese or a grilled cheese. Like, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna kill me. It's just not my personal preference, but I, I didn't feel like I was in that, that position yet. So Adam brought me a, a, a six inch 
sub packed with veggies and some chips and I drank a soda. I mean, I'd been drinking soda, specifically ginger ale, basically for the last three days straight. But like that boost in calories was like so spot on because that really helped to get me from Tahoe City to Stephen Jones, even though like I did a lot of shuffle nighttime sleeping running. <laughs> yeah, only at the end. It was a good start. We had a good start and it was kind of got quiet. And then I could I couldn't rely on you anymore. Nope. And then I was just I was just lost. <laughs> that was it. I mean, you know, at some point your runner is just gonna be done. They just there's only so much like mental, physical, emotional capacity that they have. And so at some point you might just have to take over like you did and navigate and, you know, steer the ship. I mean, again, I can't thank you enough for that because from Tahoe City to Stephen Jones, I was basically non existent. <laughs> like I just yeah, You were there. I was there. I was I, I looked back every once in a while and I checked on Yeah, you. I was physically there, but mentally I was checked out. I just, my, yeah. uh, my brain was tired. There was nothing that, you know, we even deployed caffeine. I mean, like there was just nothing and I don't drink like, you know, some of you guys know, like I just don't, I don't drink caffeine on a regular basis. Happened a couple, like a few years ago, I got a horrible stomach bug, had to go cold turkey off of coffee, which actually worked well for me because now I can deploy it strategically instead of having to like, you know, dump huge loads of caffeine into my system. I can have a couple cups of coffee and it'd be like, you know, a jolt versus like a dull buzz. Um, so even, even using that wasn't, wasn't touching it. I mean, you, your, your brain can only handle so much. And that was just the point at which mine started shutting down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and ultimately, you know, I, I knew that was going to happen eventually. I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't know when, didn't know where, but at some point I was going to have to take over and just keep going and check on you every once in a while, which I mean, fortunately it was at night. So as long as I, I could, tell the light was behind me. I knew you were behind me and I can usually hear you anyway. Saying ow, ow, ow. But, uh, yeah, ow, ow, ow. That's how, I, that's how I kept track of you. It's like my own little homing device. But but for, for any pacer, I, that, that's all stuff that we had already worked out anyway. And yeah, I think we had talked about it on the trail too. Is You almost have to do an interview process. And it's it's almost like a date, like you had said earlier. You know, it's you got to go on a date with a person to figure out, you know, what they want, what they like, what they eat, what they don't eat. You know, what do they like when they're a little tired? When they're what do they like when they're a lot tired? <laughs> and it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting journey. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's why I think you really want to choose the people that you have do this for you very carefully especially because, you know, you're relying on them. And so Ben had a situation where he had someone who was supposed to be lined up to come and sort of like be his crew person for Tahoe. And they backed out with like a week in advance. So, I mean, that was, you know, I think he adapted really well considering the situation. And I mean, like his, his unforeseen circumstances as to why he couldn't finish the race was, like I said, completely unforeseen. But I don't know how I would have done if somebody had pulled from being my like crew person a week before the race. I mean, that's like, that's crazy. Please don't do that to anybody. Yeah. I I can't imagine not, or if I had, well... If you didn't have me there and it was just Adam, how would, how that would go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been rough for sure. Yeah. Like I probably would have gotten to, um, cause I probably could have paired up with somebody else. Like I would have, you know, you, you make friends on the trail and I could have paired up with somebody for a little bit of time, but probably 
it might not have lined up perfectly for me. And there were, there probably would have been long stretches where I would have been out there by myself, which was a real concern for me. I'm not, I wasn't afraid of bears. I was really afraid of the mountain lions, which like knock on wood, we never saw any when like, I don't think anybody did, but, um, like that was like, you know, if you can take that element away and have some sense of security and like safety there, that does wonders for your ability to focus on the task at hand, which is put one foot in front of the other. So yeah, that was my biggest dog is just, just to keep cougars away. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason I was there. Everything else is just a bonus. <laughs> no, that's not true. I mean, maybe like that's how I went into it thinking like, oh, it's safety in numbers. But then obviously like right away, you know, the the very first night it was, it was pretty clear to me like, oh, this is, you know, having Frank is like an invaluable resource to keep me awake, keep me on course, keep me, you know, focused all the things. I mean, again, like this is just a, an, a like an homage to Frank this entire episode. Cause <laughs> like, I like, <laughs> I appreciate that. This is kind of cool. And I don't, going back to, I don't, I don't know if you ever actually asked me, I think I offered yeah, I'm pretty sure started. that you right away were like, I'm in. And I was like, are you sure? Because <laughs> if you say yes, I'm banking on this. So be careful what you agree to. Yeah, it's because it's, going into Tahoe next year, I've already talked to a few people and, you know, I talked to you and see who I can get um, to go as, as pacers and, and go as... Um, uh, crew and who just wants to go see me suffer because because crewing is is that's a whole that's that's a hard job if you think crewing is easy it's not it it is a i don't want to say it's as hard as running it's ch- as challenging in a non-physical way um crewing is a demanding job because mm-hmm. there is no rest especially for long races like this yeah well yeah especially for for like uh, 100 milers when you're talking you know, 24 hours, it's, it's just a long night. Um, but for, you know, three or four days, that's a tough job. And you don't want it to ask just anybody because they won't have much vacation if they go to Tahoe. <laughs> no, part of me thinks like we should probably interview Adam and, and get uh, his perspective on this as well. But like, yeah, that's a, there's a whole other side to, you know, uh, timing. And, you know, Adam was, I mean, this, this, part of it. Like we had a place that was relatively close to the course. So like you guys could go back there and sleep. I mean, you weren't allowed to, I guess the other part of this is like, you weren't allowed to camp out at any of the aid stations. So it wasn't just as easy as, Oh, go there ahead of time, sleep, hang out and wait for me. You guys had a 30 minute window that you were allowed to be ahead. Um, in anticipation of me based on what you were seeing on the tracker. But it wasn't like you could just hang out there, which would would have made the job slightly easier, um, but not infinitely easier. To Adam's credit, and he helped me out a lot too, because a lot of the times coming off of those night legs, I just needed to sleep, and he was taking care of some of the other things like doing the laundry or you know making something to eat or doing whatever to support me as well as to support you and to keep himself going. So to Adam's credit, he had a, he had double duty after the race got going. Cause I wasn't much help at that point, not to him and, and the crew side of it. So if you're, if you think you're going to be a pacer and crew, you might want to reconsider. <laughs> you can be a uh, pacer yeah. and support. <laughs> yeah. I would highly recommend against trying to crew and pace someone unless like you have a lot of experience doing it because 
it's just challenging. I mean, we could go on and on and on about like all the, all the challenges and, and no two races are the same. No two runners are going to be the same. Like no two race strategies are necessarily going to be the same. And, but there are general buckets, you know, about what your runner will need and sort of like things you should do or shouldn't do. But I, I think like, I think just having people hear this conversation and sort of hear a little bit of behind the scenes and, you know, just how, how we planned, how our interactions were sort of like the things that we did do, the things that we didn't do, I think will be, um, will be helpful, especially for somebody who's maybe trying this for the first time. Yeah. I I think find somebody you trust and that you can rely on and have the conversation, have some of those conversations that aren't pleasant to have or or difficult to have, give up some control and, you know, just, you got to trust somebody and have fun. Yeah. I think that's the big thing is we had a blast. We did have a lot of fun. Looking back at it, there were some dark times, but man, I I had so much fun out there. I don't feel like our dark times lasted all that long though. I mean, like probably when we were in it, we felt like, of course, like climbing to heavenly, that seemed never ending, you know, climbing, um, uh, power lines that seemed never ending, but it seemed like we were able to pepper in the fun stuff with like the questions or like my crazy visions or the porta potty incident or, you know, like any of that other fun stuff, taking photos or whatever, like we were able to have some fun in there. It wasn't all just like doom and gloom, suffering, pain, like there were moments, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the theme. And I didn't want that to be the theme too. Like, oh, absolutely. you not. know, you're going into this, this that it's going to be difficult. And so, I mean, my theory was like, we need to go into this sort of trying to combat that and having some fun because it is going to suck. And so you don't want it to suck the whole time. Like you want to make things interesting and fun and like make some friends and yeah. like, you know, listen to songs and yeah, we, that's what I did at one point. Right. And then like turned on my music on and you were like, what the hell are you listening to back there? <laughs> oh, that's right. You were listening to, was it a podcast? I might've been listening to music or a podcast or something. I definitely yeah, listened to the third night. Yeah. I definitely listened to stuff when I was by myself during the day for a little bit, but a lot of times I ran without anything. I just was like really enjoying like being in the woods and like listening to all the birds. It was just like, you know, kind of like this Zen experience. But then sometimes I really did need to break out a podcast or a music for just a little bit to sort of get me over the yeah. hump. Yeah. That one, that, that's when I knew things were going south. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're not listening to me anymore. You're listening to podcasts. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. I think it was just like, you know, your brain just needs something. Again, your brain just needs something to focus on. Yeah. And again, that's that that's going back to your runner. Sometimes your your runner just needs to do what your runner needs to do, mm-hmm. and and you know as long as they're not doing anything dumb, <laughs> just, just let them go. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'll, like, I'll reel you in when you're when I need you. Yeah, that is that's the other thing too is like you know, you know, let them make the decisions for the most part, but then you obviously need to have the wherewithal to override them if it's going if you see that it's going to go poorly. <laughs> Yeah. Or when your runner starts telling you, I don't recognize any of this. (laughs) Just follow me. We're going this way. Oh, God. All right. Any last uh, thoughts or or words of wisdom that you, uh, anything that we didn't cover that you want to throw in there? Um, No, I think we covered everything. Pacing is an art form and it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. And especially if you find the right person Mm -hmm. or, or you have somebody that you've run with before and it's just, 
it's it's a shared experience mm-hmm. and you know granted as a pacer i don't have anything physical to show for it which believe me i i have a whole rack of of achievements and uh to give up a little of that and not be the runner and support somebody else it's a good feeling and and to know that i i supported you in uh, in specific and got you through some tough times and that i guess reassures me that i'm 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 doing okay you know i can i can give up and have fun and it's it's not about me and like i said before at the very onset of this the whole thing is just like you know there were people out there who did this whole race by themselves. Like specifically, I know, I know people who just had crew that were sort of like bouncing around and meeting them at the, like could stop and see them at specific, specific aid stations. Um, but I also know people who showed up with no crew, no pacers, and they did it all on their own. And I, my hats off to those people, the people that I know that did that have had previous 200 miler experience. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a good thing for you to try if you're doing a 200 miler, like straight out of the gate, unless you've been practicing for that. But I, there, there literally, when I say that there is no way that I could have made it through this race without you, I am not joking. This is not for effect or drama. Like, like I'm not saying that just because all these people are listening to this podcast. Like there is, there is quite literally no way that I would have been able to do it, especially on that last leg that we keep talking about because I was asleep. Like they're just, I know just personally having been fully in my body at that point in time, like I would have laid down on the side of the road, like in that million dollar residential area. And I just would have fallen asleep. Somebody would have like the police would have been called. There's like a, there's a runner sleeping in my front yard. (laughs) Like that would have been me because I was just so tired. Yeah. You know, the, the art and the like magic of pacing is that you're actually, you know, you're doing a cool thing for somebody else. Like you are helping them achieve their goal. And like, you should be just as proud of yourself for, you know, doing that as you are for, you know, having a, a medal to show for your effort. Like, you know, it's sort of one of those like behind the scenes things that, you know, you'll know, maybe not many other people will know that you helped contribute to that runner's success. Um, but you'll know. And like in my book, that's like important for me you know, if I were to pay somebody like that, like I would know, and that would be, give me all the warm fuzzies. So hopefully like that's the, that's the feeling that other people take away from this experience as well. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the ultimate payoff for the pacer is, you know, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) Well said. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for spending two hours, holy cow, two hours with me talking about this. I think, um, like I said before, it's going to be super helpful for people to hear this and sort of, you know, get both sides, like what I experienced, what you experienced. Um, and I'm sure people will have questions and then maybe we'll do it again <laughs> and we'll answer those questions. <laughs> well, you can ask me at Ghost Train. Ooh, that's true. We can ask you at Ghost Train. I am going, well, Ghost Train is kind of different. I'm going no pacer, but because it's that 15 mile out and back, it's not as mm-hmm. critical in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there's a lot of people, like you'll be able to link up with people too. You know, there's more, more available bodies that will probably be, you know, even in, in the same general vicinity that you could sort of link up with. Yeah. And, and part of me wants to just do it without a pacer so I can mentally prepare for those times in Tahoe that I will be without a pacer because it's going to happen. I mean, I, I can't get, how many legs are there? 
12 people out there or whatever it is. So to it's it's a trial run really just to get mentally prepared for those the, the long time at uh, you know 15 miles when you're not talking to anybody which i think is super valuable definitely okay well hopefully you guys found that interesting and helpful especially if you are planning a longer distance race something like 50 100 or maybe even more miles like frank said pacing is an art form and you really have to practice and i would highly recommend that you go back and listen to the previous podcast episode that I released called Pacing 101. If you want to really hone and refine your pacing strategy, whether you are the pacer or you are the runner. If you guys are listening to this and thinking, holy cow, this is way above my skill level currently, not to worry. This is sort of a 2.0 episode. If you really want to hone in on your specific strategy for running your first 50K or maybe your farthest race to date, I would highly encourage you, ladies specifically, to come and join my private Facebook group called Run Your First 50K. So just hop on over to Facebook in the search bar at the top, write Run Your First 50K in there and just request to join that group. That's where I hang out and spend a lot of time. I teach monthly live classes, and it's where you can drop your questions about anything and everything related to running ultras and get real answers, uh, not jaded, not with a lot of added fluff in it. Just ask the question, get the answer so that you can then make a decision and move into the testing phase to figure out what is going to work for you. So again, that's Run Your First 50K over on Facebook. If you want some more personalized help, I would highly recommend that you apply for the next round of Run Your First 50K that's going to kick off in January. And you can apply for that and get more information by going to runyourfirst50k.com. And as always, you guys, I have a ton of free resources that I will link in the show notes below, including a free video on how to do your daily shakedown, as well as the first 10 weeks of my signature 50K training plan to help you get your brain wrapped around how to put together a cohesive training plan that includes all the elements, running, walking, strength training, mobility, all of it. All right. And if you haven't already, I would love for you to come and follow me over on Instagram. I also spend some time there. I update my stories a lot and just sort of give you a behind the scenes view of what happens over here behind the microphone, behind the podcast. I would love to connect with you guys over there. All right, you guys, that's all for this episode. Enjoy this beat and I will see you all soon. (music) 